You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for August 2007. Today's episode is titled, Keys to Starting a Successful Business. So you want to start a business, right? May I ask why? The most common answer people give is to make money. Then, if people feel that maybe that's not a good answer, they hedge their bet by saying something like, I want to be rich so I can give a bunch of money to advance the kingdom of God. As noble as this may sound, is it really true or is it simply a cover for greed? Listen to this month's teaching to learn how to use the Beyond Babel model to build an organization aligned with the will of God. Well, good afternoon. afternoon. Delighted to be with you. I'm surprised to be with you. I didn't know that I was going to do this. What you're going to get, I have a a four-hour seminar on on the keys to starting a business, so we're going to do that in 20 minutes. So I expect you guys to really uh, pay attention. Let me just ask you, how many of you uh, are interested in starting a business? Okay. Now let me ask you, why do you want to start a business? To give discounts. To give discounts. Uh, I think Earl is here. <laughs> you know, you, he wants to see you. <laughs> you didn't catch it. <laughs> All right, let's try a better answer. Why are you starting? To, why do you want to start a business? To empower and train people. To empower and train people sounds very noble. <laughs> you want to employ the unemployable. Okay. Try to. Bring the gospel to the marketplace. Training ground for your family. Training ground for your family. Okay. All right. Uh, Lord told me to do it. Lord told you to do it. Okay. All right. Anybody else? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why I want to start a business. I just have this desire, but I don't know why. Okay. All right. So of all those answers, which one do you think is the best answer? Why is that? Why is that the best answer? So what you're saying is, if you're going to start a business, you need to start with talking to God, asking Him what is it He wants to do. Okay. So, the foundation of any business, would you all agree, would be a biblical perspective on reality, and a biblical perspective, biblical worldview, biblical worldview is always starts with God. In the beginning, God. Where's that? The very first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God. So that's how he started his creation. So do we think that might be a wise way to start a business? You see the connection? You know, and what we were charged to do in our mandate from God was to do what he did in creation. I mean, he said, let us make man in our image and let them rule. And we are ruling by multiplying and subduing. Multiplying is growing, subduing is mastering. We've been put here to master the creation that God has created and to manage it, to steward it. And God put enough of himself in us so we could do it. There's no other species that has enough of God to do it. So if we're going to start anything, we have to start with a biblical perspective on what it is that God wants to do. Do you think God ordains businesses? Yes. Okay, if you believe that he does, then the question is always, what is the will of God? Okay, so that's the foundation. 
included in this foundation are going to be values and principles. How do we go about building this business? Where do we get the values and principles from this? Every organization has values and principles that they embrace. And you see it. You see it in their culture. How many of you have worked for Hewlett Packard? Anybody? How about TI? Or Boeing? Anybody? Okay, where have you guys worked? <laughs> if you work for these bigger companies, what you have, it's very noticeable and very obvious, is you have a culture. If you go into Hewlett Packard, it's called the HP Way. And it's these pres the prescription of how they go about doing business. It's, it's principles that they have adopted that they practice in their business. Every major organization that lasts any length of time has that. And what do they expect of everybody that they hire to come to work for them? You buy into it. If you're coming to work here, you have to align yourself with it. So every organization has a worldview that's the foundation. That's the building block of their organization. For us that want to do a kingdom worldview, we want to embrace a kingdom perspective, we've got to look to God to give us a biblical worldview of the business. So that starts with discerning the will of God. Why does God want this business to exist? And am I the agent by which he wants it to be created? In other words, are you the father of the organization? Okay, now, a woman can be a father too. We're talking generically here. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. The point is that God put it in you to start that organization. So that's where you start. And once you discern and you sense that, that God wants you to do that, the next step you've got to do is you've got to put together a team. Hope that's not surprising to you. Okay? And that's an equally yoked team. Okay? Who all here have tried to run an organization, run a department, run a division, run anything being unequally yoked? Who's done that? Okay, a bunch of you have. What happened when you tried to do that? Scrambled. What else happened? Huh? You cried a lot. Okay. What else? You bumped heads. You had conflict. Okay. What did it do to your efficiency? It killed it. It killed your efficiency because unequal yoking kills efficiency because you're diverting energy that you could use to produce a, a work product into managing the conflict. Managing the problem that you've got because you're unequally yoked. So the next thing you have to do if you're going to build a great organization, if you've discerned the will of God, is who's on your team? Who's on your team? Now, there are three basic functions to any business. Any business you want, they've got to do these three basic functions. I told them to you this morning. We're going to do a little test, a little pop quiz. What are they? Get work. Do work. Keep score. Three basic functions. You've got to have those. You need to have equally yoked team members heading those three functions up. And then you have a shot. You see, you've got to have that. If you don't have that, it's like a, a car running with a flat tire. It can't run efficiently. You guys got to be in sync, moving forward in the same direction with the same objectives. So now you have your team. So the next thing you need is you need, you need a plan. What is it you're going to do? A strategic plan. 
Now, you really need two plans. You need an operations plan and a strategic plan. Okay, now, what do you think an operations plan is? It's just the way we operate. This is the way we do business. Okay? We open at 8 and we close at 6 and we have three people at the counter and one person in the back and we got one delivery truck and whatever it is. You have an operational plan. This is the way we do business. And here are our standard policies. You know, return things in 30 days or whatever, money back guarantee, whatever they are. Okay? Whatever, however you receive payment, those are all part of your operational plan. What is a strategic plan? It's got a vision for where you're trying to go. There's four key elements of a strategic plan. It's got a vision for where you're trying to go. In other words, you're saying, I'm not happy with today. I'm trying to change. Another way to say that is, I want to be transformed. A strategic plan is about transformation. An operational plan is about what the way we do things. And in the course of doing business, you will want to change your operational plan, which means it needs to be transformed. Well, how are you going to transform it? You have to have a strategic plan to give you the direction for transformation. So that's why you should do strategic planning every year. And where you sit down and you visit, revisit your vision. Where is it we're trying to take this company? What is God saying? What does he want to do? We've got to look at reality. Where are we today? The good, the bad, the ugly. And then we say, okay, we understand where we are. We see where we want to go. How do we get there? How do you get from here to that wall? What do you do? You take a step. And another step. And another step. And it's over a period of steps that you get to that wall. So that's the game. How can I, I've got to discern the steps, and the steps we call what? Goals. We call them goals. They're objectives. Strategic initiatives. We've got various terminology we use, but you set goals. Now, there's three characteristics of every goal. And if you don't have these characteristics, you have a wish. Most of us talk in terms of wishes. And what happens with wishes? They don't happen. Goals have three characteristics. Number one is they are measurable. If you can't measure it, you can't tell whether or not you got there. So you have to be able to measure it. Number two is there has to be an owner. If, if nobody owns it, nobody's going to do it. Number three, there has to be a deadline. If you don't have a deadline, guess what? It doesn't happen. So those are the three elements that you have to have for a goal. So is this the following statement a goal? I want to do better next year. That's not a goal. It's a wish. So if I want to do better next year, I need to put something quantifiable. Okay? You need to have a deadline. I had the time in there. I want to do better next year. Okay? So, yeah, I didn't define what I want to be do better at. Be better at what? Okay? I want to hit the ball... 350 yards on every drive next year instead of 330. Okay, now we begin to quantify things. Now, that's an impossible goal for me. But, <laughs> but you see, you've got to put some kind of measuring stick out there so you can say, when the deadline comes, did you get there or not? Okay, so that's, that's the key. Vision, current assessment of reality, measurable goals, so you can tell whether or not you're making the transformation is happening, 
The fourth element of strategic planning, what do you think it might be? The fourth element. Huh? You need faith, absolutely, but that's, that's not what I was looking for. Think about it. Those of you that have tried to be strategic before, where did it fall apart? Accountability. Accountability. You have to have accountability. If you don't have accountability, there is a very high probability you will not do your plan. I have a client I've been working with for over a dozen years. and When I first came into the business, his, his net worth was minus $1 million. Okay? My first look at that is I said, well, you got two choices. You can go see a bankruptcy attorney. That's one choice. The other choice you've got is if you can control your creditors, I think I can come up with a plan to get you out of where you are. But you need to know this. You are not going to like my plan. Now, why is he not going to like my plan? Because he's doing what he wants to do. And that put him where he is. You're not going to like what I'm going to say. Okay? So, what do you think happened? Well, but the first time I went in there, I got my money up front. By the way, it's a tip, guys. Get your money up front. Okay? Do the plan. He looks at the plan and says, I don't want to do this. I said, okay. Okay, so I leave. I'm out of there. That's the nice thing about a consultant. You can just, you're gone. You leave, the problems are there. So six months later, I get a phone call. Ring-a-ling-a-ling. And it's, can I repent? Yeah. <laughs> it's a good place to be. I said, sure. Now I go back over there, pull out the balance sheet. Now we're a million two in the hole. Okay, same conversation. Write me the check. We'll come up with a plan, bring the plan to him. I don't like it. I said, that's fine. I'll be happy to walk out. He said, nope, we're going to do it. So that was the plan we executed. It took us several years. By the way, part of the plan was to make the creditors whole. It's part of the plan. Now, we asked for forbearance. We asked, will you forgive us? We've gotten ourselves in a mess, but we want to make you whole, but it's going to take us time. Will you work with us? And we were able to do that. By the way, we fired the intercessor. If that's any consolation to you. I, now, hear, hear what I'm saying here. There's nothing wrong with having an intercessor. But I asked him, I said, tell me about the intercessor. I saw that on the list of expenses, you know, they had the had line item intercessor. Tell me about the intercessor. And, and he said, well, I've hired this intercessor, and her job is to pray that God will bless my business. I said, okay, let's fire her. Okay. <laughs> And let's find, let's, let's find an intercessor that will pray the will of God under this business. Okay? That's what we need. So that's, that's how we begin to walk it out. So 12, 12 years later, he's in a, a very, very healthy place doing very well. Now, along the way, after we got out of crisis, now you can begin, which means we got to an operational plan that would work. Now we could begin to talk about transformation. Okay, so... So what does that look like? Well, we sit down and start doing our strategic planning. So we did our vision casting. We did the assessment. We set our goals. We talked about accountability, and he was going to be accountable basically internally. He wasn't going to use me. I said, fine. So this went along for several years. What do you think happened every year at the planning session when I asked the question, tell me how you did with your goals? What do you think happened? He had not done them. You know, we had the goals, but he had not done the goals. Why had he not done the goals? 
The reason you've not done the goals is, is what happens to everybody. We get into a planning session, we get all lathered up, we're ready to do it, and then we, we don't put adequate accountability in place, and we get back into the tyranny of the urgent, which is day-to-day living, and you don't work on your strategic plan because it's not a fire today. And today, I'm a firefighter. In fact, I'm a firefighter every day. It's about putting out the fires of the day. And so you never work on the transformation that needs to happen in your business. So finally, after about 10 years of this, he came to me and says, we got to change this. I said, yep, we need to change it. So what are you going to do? He says, you are going to hold me accountable. I said, I can do that. That's not a problem. So now we meet every month, and we have a standing meeting, and we have a standing agenda. And it starts with, tell me how you're doing on the goals. And that's put the discipline in place that now they're beginning to execute and do the goals and we're transforming the company. So that's the power now of being really strategic. You see how it's easy to talk about it, how hard it is to do? And the enemy will work overtime to keep you in bondage into the tyranny of the urgent so you don't do your plan. Okay, suppose you, you've been good and you've done your plan and you're accountable, you've got some great goals. What's the next thing you have to do? You have to execute. You have to execute with excellence. Okay? And this is a challenge for each one of us because now this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the how-tos. This is about how do I go about actually delivering this value proposition that God has given me? Okay? It means it after the right people. You heard that before? Getting the right people on the bus? You know, it's, I, I love it when secular researchers discover biblical principles. That's what it is. You've got to have the right people. Who are the right people? The right people are the people that have C4 to be in your company, to be in the positions they're in. Real quickly, C4, calling, character, capability, commissioning. You need to have, that's the, that's the hiring criteria. You see that principle, when, when you look at the principle that God used to hire people to build a tabernacle, that's the principle you will see. In fact, that principle is used in several situations. For example, in Acts chapter 6, when they hired the people to do the food distribution, you see the principle again. When David was hired to be the harpist for Saul, you see the principle again. When Moses was hiring people to help him uh, judge the Israelites, because they were as litigious as Americans, and he needed a lot of judges. And his father-in-law said, you need some help. Here's the criteria. C4 was the criteria for hiring the judges. So that's what you use to find the right people, to get them in the right positions on the bus. One of the questions I, I routinely ask clients when I walk in their office is, is uh, tell me what percent of your people are functioning at a high level. I mean, really, really, on all eight cylinders, they are world-class at what they do. Now, what do you think is the typical answer that I hear? Now, I, I get a spread of answers, but there's kind of one that, that really is very common that I hear. What do you think I hear? Less than 20. Somebody else? None? <laughs> no, I don't hear that very often. Okay. Somebody else? Huh? They haven't thought about it. No, no, they've thought about it. Somebody else? Huh? 80%. 20%? Anybody else? Okay, well, the, usually the first answer I hear, particularly from an optimist, is 40 or 50%. Okay, that's the first answer I hear. And then we talk a little bit. And then the, the numbers come down. Okay? 
And after we got through conversing about what world class looks like and what does it mean to function on all eight cylinders, the number I typically get is about 10%. That leads to the next question. Why? Why are you running a company where only 10% of your workers are really working well? Now, what do you think I hear then? That's when they're looking to get under their chair and they're wondering why they invited me to their office. You know, I really don't have to put up with this abuse. I can go home. I mean, I'm being funny about that, but you see, that, that's, they're squirming because I've uncovered something that they knew, but they didn't want to face. See, if you're going to execute with excellence, you have got to face the reality that God has ordained the people that he wants in his God-ordained business to do the God-ordained value proposition. So who are they? So if you have discerned the will of God and you have the plan that God wants for the organization, who are God's people that he wants there to do this thing? Can you imagine what it would be like to have a company where virtually everybody in the company is world class? Can you imagine what that would be like? I mean, that is just a mind blower. We haven't seen that. We haven't even come close. When it comes to hiring, I was surprised nobody asked the question, what about you know, hiring Christians. Should we all hire nothing but Christians? Because a person says he's a Christian or her, she is a Christian, does that make him a Christian? No. Okay. If I were to go out here to a tree and I were to put a sign in front of the tree and said, this is an apple tree, would you believe it? No. What would it take for you to believe that this is an apple tree? <laughs> Apples on the apple tree. That's the analogy. The way that you know anybody is a Christian is they look like a Christian. They talk like a Christian, they act like a Christian, they think like a Christian. They have a biblical worldview. That's what Christians are supposed to have, right? That's what you're looking for. You're not looking for what they say with their mouth so much. You're looking for their character. You're looking for their worldview. Now, that's a very challenging thing. Now, why is that so challenging today? People are not trained this way. I mean, how many grew up in a Christian home where you were given a solid biblical worldview? Who, who, who here has had that? Anybody? Yeah. We have one. Yeah. We have one. Out of a group of, what, 40 people or so, we have one. How many of you have been in a church, and please, I'm not being critical of any local churches, I'm just observing, okay? How many of you have been in a local church that gave you a solid foundation in biblical worldview? One, maybe six, seven, eight of you. That's great. Very few, though. Very, very few. Now, how many churches and or parents help you discover what God created you to do? Oh, well, now. Okay, we have one again. We're back to one. Okay. I was, I was teaching a class uh, in the fall, a biblical worldview class, and we were talking about biblical worldview of church. And um, in the course of this, we were talking about what is really the role of the church. And we were talking about being an equipping center. So there was a lady in the class about 40 years old, and she's, you could tell her, you know, her antenna's going up and her eyeballs are rolling around, and she's raising her hand. So I, I, her name was Alicia. I said, okay, Alicia, what's going on? She said, well, I hear this thing about the church is supposed to help me find my destiny, but, you know, all I've ever done is just do what they tell me to do. You know, they tell me to come here and do this and change that and work in the nursery and, you know, you know, host somebody or cook this or whatever, and that's what I do. I said, so nobody in the church has bothered to sit down with you and say, Alicia, this is what I see God has called you to do. 
She said, no one has. I said, how does that make you feel? She said, used. And I think that's where most people feel, is they feel used and abused. And therefore, they don't know who they are and what they're called to do. When you came out of the womb, was there a nameplate on you? No. There was no nameplate. God has given you, your parents, your pastor, your teachers, your employers, everybody has any authority in your life, the grand project of discovering, helping you discover what God created you to do. And as you begin to discover that, you, you can find the place where you're supposed to be. And when you find that place, if you're equally yoked with other people, then you begin to execute with excellence. Then you have the right people, you have the right systems, you have the right processes, you have the right value proposition, and you have the right resources. By the way, do you know resources are never a problem for God? I mean, he's got all the resources in the universe. And if he needs something, he creates it. It's not a problem. I almost told you guys the story this morning, but God, God had other plans, but of, of one of the greatest institutions on the planet today was started with no resources. It was not a problem for God to start it. In fact, he started it by giving a vision to a, a little woman who was sworn to a vow of poverty. God is not limited. We keep thinking capital is the problem. Capital is not the problem. The problem is we don't have a biblical worldview. We don't have equal yoke teams. We haven't discerned God's strategic plan, and we don't execute with excellence. Those are the problems. Those are the real root issues. Money is not a problem. So if you think you have a money problem, you are off in la-la land. There is no money problems with God. Money is a symptom. Have you ever thought, whether or not you're qualified to manage money? Have you demonstrated in your life that you're qualified to do that? What would make me believe that you could steward God's resources? You know, I loved Earl's story this morning. I had a situation about a year ago. I'd come to the same conviction that he had, that God is very intentional about money. I discovered the definition of provision. It is having what you need to do what you're called to do. Would that be a good definition of provision? Okay, then I discovered the definition of prosperity. What do you think that is? You think it's having more? Let me suggest another definition. The definition of prosperity is having what you need to do what you're called to do. Is that a brain lock? Okay, you see, God is intentional. If you have what you think is an excess, what does that mean? You haven't discerned what God wants to to do with that money yet. God has a plan. If he gives you what you think is an excess, there's a plan, and what is your job? Discern what it is. Figure out by asking, seeking, knocking, God, what is it you want to do with this money? Does that change your view of money? What we've got to do is get it that God gives you the provision to do what he wants to do. And what I was going to tell you was this little story about, about a year ago, I was looking at my books, and I noticed I had gotten a shipment of products from my audio guy, and he hadn't sent me an invoice. So I called him up. I said, Brian, I've got this shipment. I'm not showing an invoice anywhere. And his response to me was, well, gee, uh, that's good for you and bad for me. And I said, no, it isn't good for me. Why is that not good for me? I have money in my bank account that does not belong to me. It belongs to him. So I said, you get me that invoice. I want to pay you today. 
I don't need your money. I need the money God has given me to steward. He hasn't given me your money to steward. You steward your money. And so when you begin to think like that, I mean, it's, you, you see, money is just a tool. It doesn't drive me. It doesn't, it doesn't define who I am. It's not the definition of success. So we've got to get it. Right resources are there when you line up with what God is trying to do. Okay, the validation of all this is whom? How is the Lord going to speak to you? Through your customer. Your customer is going to talk to you. By the way, this is the Beyond Babel model in my book. So you want to know more details? Get my book. Okay, the customer is your feedback system. Now, is, is every customer your feedback system? No. No. What you want to do is use the C4 principle to discern who to listen to. Let me give you an illustration of how it works. Okay, you want customers that have a heart for you. They don't have an agenda to get at you. They're not mad at you. They're not angry at you. They genuinely have a heart to help you. That's the calling. The character is you want people that think biblically, that have your value system and your principles, so they can talk to you from your worldview. And thirdly, you want people that have perspectives that will, that will be fresh and different. I think last year I used the, uh, little, the, the wireless mouse as an illustration of the different perspectives. You know, held it up, and I said, you know, what does Earl see, and what does uh, Russell see? And they would describe this thing differently. And the question is, which one's right? They're all right. And, if, and who's the only person that sees all perspectives? So God sees all the perspectives. How do I see more like God? Through community. Connecting with other like-minded people to see what, God, what God's perspective on this situation is. And that's why community is so important. So you need, a, you need customers that give you different slants on your value proposition. So they've got, they got heart for you. They've got biblical character. They give you different slants. And commissioning is, I trust them. I invite the feedback. I can't tell you how many companies I've been into, and I get to talking about the feedback system. What do you think I hear? Yeah, we don't have a feedback system. You know, you know uh, we, we might get a letter here or there. Or, Maybe it's on the Internet, but we don't tell anybody about it, okay? You know, and, and or I, I've seen companies that get the data and do nothing with it. Or you look at the, their little re, the response card they send out with their invoice, and you're saying, what kind of data is this? You know, you happy with us, and, you know, if you have anything you want to say to us. I mean, it's kind of Mickey Mouse stuff. I mean, come on, let's talk about reality. You need to ask about your value proposition. You know, you need to find out about your competition. You know why we have competition? What's the purpose of competition? Competition is a tool. It's a workout tool. If you want to get strong, what do you do? You work out. You get resistance. That's what competition is, the resistance to make you get stronger, to give you more clarity about what God's calling you to do. It is a gift of God. Competition is a gift of God. It's a tool of God. And how do we look at competition? <sighs> Gee, yeah, that's right. We gotta be careful. We can't share our secrets with them. You know, we gotta make them pay like we did to learn this lesson. We are afraid of competition. We run from competition. You know, if we're really, really strong and walking with God, competition never creates fear. We say, bring it on. Because guess what? If I discover somebody can deliver a value proposition on what I'm doing better than I can, what does that tell me? Maybe I need I either need to get better, or maybe I need a course correction. Maybe I'm not supposed to do whatever it is that I'm doing. 
use competition as a tool, but it needs to be C4 competition, you know, not just anybody. So you've got to have this feedback system, and the feedback system is telling you how you're doing in discerning the will of God. And one of the keys to the feedback you saw this morning in the, in the case study, and that was called cash flow. Unhappy customers tend not to pay bills, right? That creates cash flow problems. So your cash flow is a key validation point of whether or not you're really hearing God. It's also a validation, you know, the feedback's also a validation on whether or not you're really doing as well as you think. Y'all are familiar with, uh, with WorldCom and the president and the CEO of WorldCom? W would you be surprised to know that he was a Baptist Sunday school teacher? He was very prominent in his church. But, you know, during his last days, do you know what he did in his office? He isolated himself. He cut himself off from reality. He got no feedback as to what was really going on. And I find consistently business owners tend to do that. They don't want to hear because they're afraid of what they're going to hear because they're afraid their value proposition isn't good, their people are not doing the right job, the attitude of their people is bad, and they don't want to hear this. And so they isolate. If you want to be really world class, never isolate. Always be aggressive about getting that feedback discovering what it is that God is saying through the feedback, making your course corrections, and lining yourself up with what God is trying to do through the organization that He ordained and He ordained you to lead. That's the keys to building a great organization. It's the keys to starting it. It's the keys to building it and maturing it. So, bless you as you do that.